I've been rethinking this thing. I've been going over very carefully in my mind about this. And I've been uh, considering the idea of calling this, you know, stopping calling this thing the Gene Shepard show. You know, so egotistical, you know. Why not call it the U.S. Air Force? You like that? Well, you know, it's different. I like to say, could you please do that for me while you're out there again? Just standing on one foot, and then on the other. Just uh, look up in your dictionary, will you please? Uh, look up the word farce. It's uh, spelled C-E. Uh, F-A-R-C-E, right? You just look it up and uh, see how close that comes to a description of your life. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I don't know what the classical dictionary definition of farce is, but we all know what it is, I can tell you that. It's just like uh, another great word to look up if you want to want to really find out uh, you know, how your life stands is look up the word chaos. C-H-A-O-S. That's a great word, chaos. Chaos, chaotic, chaotium, chaotiumus. Oh, yeah, I can decline everything. I do, how about this one, maelstrom? That's a good word, maelstrom. No, it's not spelled M-A-L-E, it's M-A-E-L. Maelstrom. That uh, has a certain descriptive ring to it, because uh, that describes most guys' jobs. <laughs> it doesn't describe your life. <laughs> Into the maelstrom he scrubs. Yes, riding his pinto, six-cylinder, rented from Hertz. He marched forward. You know, speaking of uh, marching forward, uh, tonight I think we better salute, uh, after all, it's uh, 1975, and uh, we haven't saluted mankind's stick-to-itiveness recently. We, I used to have a teacher named Miss Shields who always used that word, stick-to-itiveness. She said, see, now, boys and girls, the most important thing that you'll know Eventually, in life, it is important is stick to it with me. Now, you know, the only thing that stuck in my head out of the second grade was the word stick to it with me. And she also used to uh, use another phrase. I don't know whether you've ever heard this one, because uh, I came from a very uh, high-level intellectual type grade school, and uh, they dealt with concepts of this kind. I can recall also uh, <laughs> Miss Shield saying the following line, which uh, I, I always said, uh, I was almost uh, uh, weekly, I use this, uh, I, I, I actually do it uh, consciously. She said, uh, now, all right, boys and girls, it's time to put on your thinking cap. Well, I do. I put my thinking cap on. And I, I wonder if uh, today, uh, if you can walk into any decent, uh, uh, any decent hattery here in town and buy yourself a fairly decent thinking cap, uh, do, you, do, you, do they have them over at Abercrombie & Fitch's? Do they still have Adam's hat stores? Do you remember the Adam's hats? Do they still have those? I don't know. <laughs> they used to have them. I used to see them. Do they still have Arrow shirt stores? They do? I see. Do they have United Cigar stores? No? No. Well, you know, I'm just, just investigating. I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is investigating my terrain, my literal. Uh, do they have White Castle? Good, they do. They certainly do. All of you know that. Do they have white towers? Right, right. Do they have orange Julius? Yes, yes, of course they do. Uh, I'm glad to hear. Do they have Medix? Yes, yes, that's right. Do they have Lewis? Yes, of course. Do they have Corky stores? 
You don't know. This, uh, we'll just leave that one hang. That's all right. We've done pretty good. Nine out of ten. Do they do? Do they have J.C. Penny stores? Of course, of course. We're just uh, investigating our litter out here. Do they have? Uh, uh, next question. You ready? Do they have? Uh, do they have um, Lampston stores? Yes, of course. Oh, certainly. Do they have A&P? Yes, yes, yes. Of course they do. Do they have Shoprite? Yes, they have all those things. Now, you see, there are some things you can count on in our world. Give us a cheer there. Please. They're just testing me here. See, these are all rocks upon which you can base your life. They are the Gibraltar's upon which man focuses his navigation equipment as he sails through the stormy seas of existence, right? If you please, a little music to take us to the stormy seas. Let's blow that horn, buddy. We're sailing to the stormy seas of life.
And it's just, you're excited. There's a smell. There's a special smell to radio uh, junk stories, let's say, uh, radio road stories. Now, why is this? Because all the equipment has a certain type of, uh, uh, it's a rich amalgam of all kinds of insulation to begin with. Uh, copper wire, uh, which is in every transformer, has a certain smell, too. You know how copper smells, especially when it's just a wee bit uh, oxidized. And uh, then there's, uh, uh, there's the smell of liquid-filled filter capacitors. Yes, they have liquid in them. In fact, I'll tell you one time, one of the great lessons I learned, buddy, about buying stuff in junkyards, I learned an unbelievable lesson in the radio junkyard. It wasn't very believable at the time. Now I look back on it, I can see, you know, how feckless is man's life. I, uh, I was a kid, you know, and I was reading into this stuff. And I, my idea of a fantastic Saturday afternoon was to spend walking up and down through the radio junk shops uh, on the south side of Chicago, these were not in, the, in the, you know, no small towns. This is the real thing, man. And uh, Chicago, among all the cities in America, has a certain gutty quality to it. it, it even to this day, it remains a city of, uh, well, a city that, uh, in a sense, uh, Carl Sandburg wrote about. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a, uh, the ball teams are hairy. They don't win, but they're hairy. Uh, the the uh, the fans are hairy. They don't win either, but they're there. And it's Chicago, you know, Chicago, the city of the broad shoulders. And of course, in Chicago, they always said the city of the broad. Uh, you'll have to fill that in too. The three-letter word. It's got two S's in it. And uh, <laughs> so you know, it's like it's just like that. So we used to go down on Saturday and go through all these uh, places. Well, uh, we were always looking for great bargains. It is always assumed, you know, of course, the bargain hunting urge in modern man stems from the original hunting urge in the Neanderthal man. It's a very close parallel. And like everything else that involves hunting, it's dangerous. Well, you know, the Neanderthal man says, you know, turns to his friend Og, you know, and he says, oh, yeah. which says, let's go out and knock over a saber-toothed tiger. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now, it wasn't true that all all cavemen, because even in those days, the, the uh, various strains of humanity were already beginning to develop. It's hard to believe that there were chickens among the cavemen, just like there are chickens today. And uh, so one odds, which means let's go out and knock off a saber-toothed tiger. Three guys jumped up and said, let's go. And one guy says, i got to sharpen my axe. So, uh, nevertheless... Uh, when Og, you know, went out there to fight the saber-toothed tiger, he was doing the very same thing. The people who had the predatory urge deep within them to say, why the hell should I go out and spend uh, $4.95 for a new 8 uh, microfarad filter condenser when I can go down on Radio Row and probably find one for one-tenth the price? And it'll be exciting, right? Well, I'll tell you how exciting it was. You want to hear about it? Now, I, I, this is not a technical story. Now, don't, don't say, oh, another one of those dumb technical stories. Why doesn't he tell a story about when he was a little kid and he said those nice things to his mother? I know that. That crap. Shut up, will you? Listen, it's life. We're not talking about things technical. We're talking about how you learn about, let's say, um, the pitfalls that lie ahead on the great golf course of existence. You ever see life as a golf course? Think of it. I just thought of it. Really, really accurate, isn't it? 
Life is a great golf course, see? There's the fairway. There's the trap. There's the water hazards. Oh, boy, there's the dog legs. Right? There's the greens that are, that are uh, slick. Yes, and, uh, and then there's the guys that know how to play the course. Then there's you down there, knee-deep in the sand, whacking away. <laughs> yeah, right. Boy, there's nothing like seeing your fellow player. You know, what, what, what makes you so mad about the game of life is we all start out the same, you know. We all start out not able to talk or anything, you know, dribbling and... And uh, uh, some guys all of a sudden, without any warning, begin to show that they know how to get that wrist action in that, that number two iron, you know. Well, you notice that in the game of life? Oh, wow. I mean, it's like Arnold Palmer sinking that 40-foot putt in the Masters. <laughs> no, I mean, excuse me, not Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas. <laughs> oh, what a difference. No, it's Jack Nicholas. Did you see that putt? Did you see it on the, on the news? It was the magic. Oh, 40 feet. A lot of guys I know can't drive 40 feet. I mean, he just sank a 40-foot putt. And it looks so cool doing it. Then he just turned around the car. He goes, ah, like that. Yeah. That's the way you put that $40,000 check in your jeans. But it's not so much the money. It's the way you do it. Style. Incredible. But uh, nevertheless, uh, on this particular Saturday, which I'm about to tell you, I learned uh, some of the facts of life. In short, for every saber-toothed tiger you bag, there's one that's going to bag you. You go to the well once too often, as they always say in the, in sports parlance. Yep, well, Doc Medich went to the well once too often. And what happened? That's right, Charlie Spikes teed off on one of his inside sliders and went over the scoreboard. <laughs> God. <laughs> well... Hey, have you ever thrown a ball? Have you ever, have you ever stood out in the outfield? I'm going to ask you a question about that. You know, most people always talk about the pitcher. You know, they, when, when they somehow the, the whole game is around the pitcher. I'm going to do a baseball show very shortly. In fact, I'm thinking of doing it almost tonight. I really, I've got the urge. But I'll tell you, one of the great moments in, in sports, one of the pressing moments in sports, really, is to be an infielder. And uh, and you're standing down there, like in my case, I was down at third base one time, saying I'm fooling around down there, and the bases are loaded. And I keep making these moves to this guy, see, and like we're going to pick him off a third, see, and I keep walking over halfway to the pitcher and saying he's the, hey, uh, you know, come on, cool off, boy, let him hit it. you got a lot of guys behind you here, you know, and walking back, walking back, and uh, then you make the move again, and the runner's leading off third, it's in the eighth inning of the game, and you're you're tied one to one. It's a desperate ball game, and the bases are loaded with two outs. The pitcher's out there sweating. This is exactly what happened to me. I keep walking over to the third base. You know, I'm, I walk off third, and I walk over to the pitcher. You know, look, buddy, just take it easy, buddy. You know, you're throwing two balls in a row here. Just get, make them make them hunt, make them hunt for it, right? And uh, don't worry, you got an infield line, you bud. And I walk back and kick the bag, and then uh, go back into the hole and kick some more dirt. And uh, bases loaded, see. And uh, there was a left-handed hitter up, which gave me even added confidence. So uh, he's, he's up there, and he's a left-handed banjo hitter. He's what they call a cracker. You know, yeah, you know, you can go on and on. He's a banjo hitter. He's, he's the kind of guy who, uh, uh, in the entire season, the year before, he got two doubles. Both of them hit off the handle. 
a drop back at a first baseman, cadet kind of guy, see, but great glove, but rotten hit. So I, I, I'm sitting I'll walk up to the pitcher again, it's okay, buddy, I mean, it's, this is this guy, you know. Uh, he, uh, he couldn't hit 185 against his mother pitching. So I go back, kick the bag. What I didn't realize was his mother was Dizzy Dean. And I go back and kick the bag. <laughs> These are moments when you learn something about it. <laughs> and at that point, the pitcher, you know, the pitcher goes into a stretch, see, because this guy kept leading all the pitch. And, and he throws it. It was a beautiful pitch. I mean, he really did. He threw a pitch over the outside corner and going away from my hitter and down hard pitch. And that guy just reaches out and he meets that ball and he hit a shot down the third baseline that not only knocked me flat, <laughs> it went out in the left field and three runs scored. While I'm laying there looking up at the clouds. And he walks over to me to pitch and he says, yeah, let him hit it. Uh-huh. Let him back. What did we have? He had me handcuffed. I, you know, handcuffed. He walks back, spits on my shoe, and goes back to the mound. Well, you know, these, these things, uh, you take life as it comes. And when you're, when you're, you know, you played a little infield in your time, you learn that, you know, sometimes you make the peg, other times you get spiked. So uh, on this particular Saturday, I was still idealistic, my eyes shining bright. And I believed, uh, I believed that God was in his heaven. And uh, nature was benevolent, is what a lot of people believe, until a shark gets them. You know, nature was benevolent. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I got a whole Schwartz and, and uh, Flick, and we went down to three of us. We were all into, uh, we were into the electronics bag at that time. I must say, I'm the only one, you know, that, uh, that I felt really knew about it, and that the other guys were there. So we went down to Radio Road, and uh, we bought Flick's old man's Chrysler, had this rotten old Chrysler. He had a Chrysler that was sort of dun-colored, you know. The, the, kind of the paint was kind of dun and just appealing off. We drove down to the south side of Chicago, parked the car in his parking lot, and we started to make the scene on Radio Row, which was on South State Street in those days. It was like Van Cortland Street. And there were a thousand little shops all in the row. And we knew all these guys. There was the Greek and there was Artie and... Uh, uh, then, there, then there were places that didn't have the names of guys like Ajax Electronics. <laughs> they had names like that. Acme Radio Parts. They all love names. You, you notice that so many companies start their, their name with an A because they figure they want to get in the front of the, the listings, you know, in the yellow book, way down in the back. You know, the guy does not say Zabisco Brake Lining Company. He wants to be right up there with the Acme, the Triple A, the ABC Brake Lining Company. So... Anyway, they, all these places have names like Acme, Ajax, A1, that was another great one. And uh, we're in and out of all these places. And there were always these little greasy guys with uh, heavy beards and, uh, <laughs> you know, shirts open all the way down to the navel looking mad and loading junk and stuff. And you can smell a great exciting smell of a radio store on a Saturday afternoon in, in spring. It's, it's, a, it's a sexual uh, uh, it's, it's an exciting smell. You smell that insulation and, and all that uh, bake light and, and uh, that tubing. And, and it's just a great smell. Uh, the dust and the mold. And all of it mixes together to make an amalgam of smells that is as distinct as the smell of, say, uh, a locker room, which is always the same. If you go into a locker room in, in Tehran, 
you know, where some guys have been playing football or something. It smells exactly like a locker room in Trenton. Uh, yeah, so it's a basic smell. So the basic smell of a radio radio row junk shop. Now, I'm not talking about going into Harvey's over here. I'm not talking about going into Lafayette. I'm talking about a junk shop where they've got this stuff all in bushel baskets, and they have a little sign. Uh, anything in this basket, uh, seven cents. And there's a whole pile of junk in with all kinds of leads and resistive wires sticking out. That's the kind of place I'm talking about. <laughs> well, we went into this place, and there was a, the specific thing I was looking for. Now, I was building a power supply. Now, uh, I had gotten myself a uh, power transformer that uh, that uh, was a hefty piece of equipment. It was a it was a Thordarson transformer. Give me a Thordarson or Thordarson if you prefer it that way. Thordarson, right? That's a good transformer. And I had gotten myself by well, judicious trading by a promising to go into slavery for two years to a guy. You know, do all kinds of stuff. I got this Thordarson transformer that was 250 mils and 750 volts on each side of the center tap. Now, that's a 1,500 volt transformer, correct? And it was a 110 volt good solid 250 mil transformer. It had a 6 and 6.3 volt uh, winding on it for filaments. And it was a lot of transformer. And it had, uh, yes, I was very proud of it. And I used to take it up and just heft it in my hand. It took two hands to do it. But I, I had built up, and I, I, I was almost finished with this thing. I had built up a, a power supply. Now, uh, uh, this is, a, again, as I say, it's a, it's a 200, well, 250 mils. It's a 750 volts on each side of the tap. So it's a, uh, that's a good, hefty power supply. It gave a DC voltage of roughly uh, 650 volts filtered. Sure, ultimately. Uh, that's a lot of voltage. And uh, I had got myself a, 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 a sister filter choke, and a big choke in this thing. Now, what I needed, I needed... Uh, <laughs> and I, I had spent my last nickel, buddy, my last nickel on, on some some thousand volt uh, filter condensers for this thing. They were oil bath condensers. They were good condensers. They were big big filter condensers. I had I had two four microfarad filter condensers of roughly a, I think they were a thousand working volts. Correct, Emo? Okay, you got it. No, they were 700, excuse me, they were 750 working volts. It was pretty much on the edge, see. But uh, if I were, uh, I was going up to the 1,000 working volts, it was going to cost me some dough. So I bought these, 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 these beautiful oil bath filters. Now, I had this thing all built up, but I needed one thing. What did I need? Now, I was using, I'm, I'm asking you a technical question. Uh, if you're curious what kind of rectification I was using in it, I was using a pair of 866 Juniors. These are uh, a mercury rectifier tube, half-wave rectifier, and I was using a pair to get full-wave rectification. So uh, here I am. I'm, I've got my, my whole life is built on these, this equipment. I have put every cent that I've earned on my paper route. I've put every cent that I've earned on my, my, my uh, lawn-cutting business. I have invested my entire income from my worm raising racket. I have put it all in this thing. There's a, you know, this is going to be <laughs> power, power. So I go to Radio Low. Now, this is, there's a lesson in this for you, friends. Yes, indeed. 
I go to Radio Row, and there was one piece of equipment I needed for this power supply, and what was it, Barney? I've described everything. I had the A66s. I had the power transformer. I had the, the filter choke, and I had the filter condensers. What did I need? Well, you know, I had all the other little stuff like wiring and that. What else did I need? I had, No, I had the chassis. No, 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 no. It was ready to go except for one important piece of gear. All right, I'll tell you what I needed. I needed... <laughs> I needed a great big fat bleeder resistor for a, yes to give it oh yes indeed to give it to, to give it uh, what we call voltage regulation right now that's a great big wire wound resistor that is used in a power supply of this kind I don't want to bore you with these technical aspects of uh, this highly technical career but nevertheless I went down to Radio Row to pick up this 50,000 ohm uh 250 watt or 500 watt or whatever it was, 250 watt big fat wire wound and it was covered with porcelain you recall, I had these things covered with porcelain big, big resistors so I'm down there uh, going from one radio shop to the next and I finally come to old Arts, see, he was the guy that said, when all else fails you went to Arts he had all kinds of stuff and he had a connection with some big radio company where he would buy all their parts apparently, you know, from of chassis they rejected and everything. He had a fantastic place. Bins full of stuff. He had bushel baskets. So I go into Arts and I said, Art, I'm looking for a 50,000 ohm uh, 250 watt bleeder resistor. And I, 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 I just, uh, I'm looking for something, maybe an ohmite. You know, if you anything by ohmite around. So I got just a thing. So he runs in the back and he comes out with an array of magnificent filter, <laughs> magnificent bleeder resistor. See, he's got him. I said, I said, how much? I said, now, of course, if I were to go down to Allied to buy this thing, it's going to cost me a nice penny. And, uh, and the, the lesson, of course, here is, friends, I'm not going to say the lesson. I'll just tell you the story, right? <laughs> Let you have the lesson. So, now, it wasn't really that much. If I, if I had gone down to Allied, I might have been able to Lafayette, I might have been able to pick up this resistor for maybe $3 or something like that which was a lot of money, but not that much when you stop to think of what else was involved in this power supply. The 866 Juniors alone. So, um, I said to Art, uh, how much is the resistor? I had a 50,000 watt, or 50,000 ohm, uh, oh my, it's a pretty good looking resistor. So he says, uh, he says, hey, bring out the ball on me here, will you, Maury? So Maury's in the back, Maury brings it out, he checks, he's fine. He says, well, he says, I think I'll let you have that for the, oh, I'll let you have it for dollar seventy-five. I said, come on, Art, what do you mean? I can buy one down at Ally at Radio Shack or someplace like that. I can get one of those for three dollars. He said, well, why don't you go down? Go ahead, be my guest. That was the way Art always talked. Be my guest was his favorite thing. So he says, be my guest, go. I says, okay, Art. This is a little game we had. I'd start to walk. I said, look, he's all right. You're no customer. Okay. He says, uh, buck and a half. I said, all right, come on. I'll buy it from a... I'll buy it one dollar. One dollar on a barrel. Head. One dollar. One buck. Oh, are you kidding me? I paid more than that for it. Oh, man. How are you? This is the kind of talk you get from those guys. I said, well, all right, you know, I said, I, uh, after all, I, I can I can go down right down to Ally, and I know I can get one there for three bucks. No, go up, be my guest. Okay, all right, I'll be your guest. All right, okay, come on, let's go, Flick. 
So we start to go out. He's bucking a quarter. You're a good customer. You come here every week, bucking a quarter. I said, okay. I'm not going to quill over pennies. Okay. So I gave him the buck and a quarter, which left me seven cents for the rest of my life. And uh, I take the resistor out, and it came even in a box. That's what, uh, you know, the, the, what really got me. It came in a box. So I take the thing home that day. We drive back. Flick buys himself a couple of pieces of stuff. And Schwartz picked up a couple of low-loss coil horns. He was always winding coils. So we get back to the house, and I rush into the basement, and I go to work on my power supply, and I lay that bleeder resistor in there. <laughs> and I... That afternoon, actually about an hour later, I am tuning up my transmitter on the ham. I'm tuning it up with my new power supply. And, oh, wow. I mean, you know, I had this T20. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about that tube, T, I actually had a TZ20, which is a zero bias triode Taylor tube. And it was, boy, and I, you know, the voltage is right up there. I'm getting 650 volts and and I'm on CW, and I, the meters are flicking, and the 866 juniors are flickering. Everything's working fine. So I go on the air. I tune it all up on 20, on the, on the low end of 20 CW. Well, five minutes later, I'm in QSO with some guy out in Denver on 20 CW. And he, he comes back. Right, first started. One of them shorted. 
which incidentally didn't do the transform right in good. It reflected back on the H-66. One H-66, friends, as far as I know, is still in orbit. It came right out of the tube socket, right out the window, and the last I saw it was going out over East Chicago, Indiana, heading towards Lake Huron. Incidentally, my shirt caught on fire. Two weeks later, I, I go into Arts and I says, Art, you don't know what you've done. Look at it. It blew up. All my fire's applied. Could have gone there, all right. Be my guest. Be my guest. Be my guest. Yeah. So be careful, buddy. Watch out for those discount bins. There's a reason, huh? Right. Maybe you live a discount life and it doesn't make any difference, huh? And all of your time down there in the water flailing away. With a number five eye with a balsa wood shaft. No talent, plenty of mossy, huh? <laughs> this is WOY New York. You stay tuned for in conversation, you hear?